Good morning, I'm Wimala, and today is August the 9th. So, why don't we read first? The reading might help just to relax if you've had a busy morning or a busy day, uh, and you're sitting down to relax a bit and listen and practice. The reading first may be a good way to settle our minds. So we're ready to practice. You can do it either way. Sometimes sitting first and then the reading, but sometimes the reading helps to let things go, let the body begin to relax. So I'm just opening. I'm reading from Sharon Salzberg's book, A Heart as Wide as the World, Stories on the Path of Loving Kindness. So I'm just picking some things randomly. There is the section, this is from the section called The Spirit of Meditation. And then The Practice of Transformation is the next section. And Living with Wisdom and Compassion. So this section is called uh, uh, The Spirit of Meditation, but the essay that I'm reading, well, there's some that's tempting, there are some others that are looking really good too, but this one is called Seeing Our Way Through Doubt. From the first moment I began to practice meditation, I felt as if I had come home. I never had any doubt about the benefits of the Buddha's teachings or the value of the practice of meditation. I did have doubts about other things, my own capacity to practice, whether my mind would ever quiet down, how much compassion I might, I might ever experience. And for a while, I had major doubts about what particular practice to do. My first teacher was from a Burmese tradition and so I practiced that method of meditation for several months. Then someone showed me a picture of a Tibetan Lama. I was very intrigued and I decided to go meet him. He became my second teacher. It was a different tradition, a different lineage, and a different way of practice. Soon I found myself in a dilemma. I simply could not decide which practice to do. Whenever I sat down to meditate, I would obsessively think, should I do this one or should I do that one? I bet, so I bet one is faster. Maybe this one is faster. Look at the people who do that practice. What do I think of them? What about the people who do this practice? Whenever I was with my Burmese teachers, I asked them what they thought about Tibetan practice. And when I was with my Tibetan teachers, I asked them what they thought of Burmese practice. Dedicated to their own tradition, these teachers really knew very little about other practices. The views they did offer were sometimes based on ancient doctrinal disagreements. In effect, I wasn't learning from either practice. Rather than meditating, I was sitting and ruminating about which practice would be best to do. Not knowing which was the best or the right practice 
I couldn't even focus on an object of concentration. No sooner would I decide to follow my breath than I would begin to wonder if I shouldn't be saying a mantra or visualizing a deity instead. And rather than learning from my teachers what they knew very deeply, I insistently questioned them in areas they knew very little about. The state of indecision I found myself in is one aspect of the hindrance of doubt. One of doubt's most significant and detrimental functions is that it prevents us from placing ourselves in an attitude of truly listening. It prevents us from allowing the truth to be revealed. Thus, when the mind is caught in doubt, when we believe our doubting thoughts and give them power, it is very difficult to progress in any practice. Doubt makes it impossible to commit ourselves. We become unwilling to take the risk of giving a process some time, of allowing the truth to come forth, instead of allowing answers to emerge intuitively Doubt demands that we know the answers immediately. Instead of drawing close to our experience, the doubting mind pulls us back from whatever the moment is offering so that we can scrutinize it, usually so that we can compare it to something else. And so we sit thinking, am I doing it right? Am I doing it perfectly right? Is it worth doing? What am I doing? What am I doing here? Continually comparing, judging, and assessing keeps us stuck and unable to see deeply for ourselves. It is not that we should become gullible and simply believe everything we hear. It is both healthy and helpful to have a certain level of skepticism about what we are told is true. But when the Buddha urged his disciples not to simply accept what he said without investigation, he meant that doubt should impel us to discover the truth for ourselves. If the truth is to become our own, we need to allow our experiences to speak to us. And if we surrender to a process long enough to experience it fully, then we are ready to make a considered judgment. What does it mean to me? Is it worthwhile? Is it important? Is it useless? Should I forget it? Realizing that I had tied myself into a knot about which practice I should do, I knew that I would have to unravel it. I had to commit to one practice or the other. It hardly mattered which one I did as long as I did it fully. I said to myself, just do something. It doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment. It doesn't have to be the absolutely right decision. Do it for six months, do it for a year, some period of time in which to actually give it a try. Just do it and see what happens. Immediately, I was able to meditate again. I also began once more to learn from my teachers by asking them what they knew most about. There are many ways to see through the hindrance of doubt. One of the most effective is to actually use it as the object of mindfulness. 
to recognize the confusion, the indecision, the questioning, not as authentic inquiry, but simply for what they are, doubt. Seeing that, we can remember again our real goal of insight. We can remember that our chosen practice is a context in which we can allow the truth to reveal itself. At times, we may need to seek answers to our questions from a teacher or through study so that we can come to understand what is healthy doubt and what is doubt that just leaves us stuck. Sometimes it's just a matter of giving things time, as I had to do when trying to decide between forms of practice. The most important tool in working with doubt is confidence in our own ability to see the truth. When I was no longer distracting myself with questions about which practice to do, I could face my deepest doubt, which lay below all of the superficial mental activity, whether I actually had the ability to fulfill the goals of the practice. In the hindrance of doubt, this kind of self-doubt is perhaps the most basic and most insidious. Self-efficacy, a contemporary psychological concept, is a quality that enables one to meet challenges as they arrive, arise. With self-efficacy, we have faith in ourselves and our ability to encounter difficulties. A person who has a strong degree of self-efficacy is willing to take risks, to face new challenges. This concept reveals that what we believe about our own abilities profoundly affects them. Our capacity to grow, understand, love, and connect is not a limited or defined quantity, but we limit it by what we believe about ourselves. When self-doubt arises in the mind, we can transform it into a helping tool. We use it as a signal to cultivate confidence in our own ability to face obstacles that naturally arise on the path of discovery. This basic confidence enables us to face any level of doubt. Then we can experiment wholeheartedly, not holding parts of ourselves back from our practice and our lives. I want to read that paragraph again because I think it's the key here. When self-doubt arises in the mind, we can transform it into a helping tool. We use it as a signal to cultivate confidence in our own ability to face obstacles that naturally arise on the path of discovery. This basic confidence enables us to face any level of doubt. Then we can experiment wholeheartedly, not holding parts of ourselves back from our practice and our lives. The key to cultivating confidence in ourselves is understanding our right to make the truth our own. In a discourse in the early Buddhist canon, the Buddha addresses a group of villagers confused by the varied presentations of so many teachers, saying, you should decide not by what you have heard, 
not by following convention, not by relying on the text, and certainly not out of respect for a teacher. When you know for yourselves that these things are unhealthy, these things incline toward harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. When you know for yourselves that these things are healthy, these incline toward welfare and happiness, then having come upon them, you should stay with them. When we realize that access to the truth is our natural birthright, we can overcome the doubt that seeks to separate us from our experience. Then we draw as close as possible to each moment, not with confusion, but with wisdom. I really like this one. I think that's a, it's very good. It's a very, um, a good explanation of how to, what, what the, why it's important to give, uh, that this, the doubt is, is like, kind of like Mara tricking us, right? So the doubt can just be, is this the right path? Is this the right meditation? And, and I see that a lot and it keeps people stuck. And, uh, I think I, I always give the same advice that she does. It's tell, I tell people to try to stay with something long enough to see if it's the right path, uh, put some depth into it. And, and then if it's not, you know, continue to search, continue to look for one that seems like a better fit, that uh, makes you happy, where you feel like you can grow in the path and everything she's saying. So these are good words to take heart with. If you suddenly start feeling uh, caught up in that kind of doubt, the best thing is to just choose something for a, a temporary time, but stay with that. And then, then check, check yourself again. Because it's our own truth, we need to find the path that helps us discover our own truth. So her words of wisdom are really, really wonderful in that one. That's in the book on page um, 61, Seeing Our Way Through Doubt. So why don't we, we have a good 10 minutes to sit together. So just let's just let it be a silent sit, but you can let the words from that, her essay kind of Trickle, trickle in, roll around inside you. Or just be with the silence and allow your body to just relax and be present. Not relax like taking a nap, but relax like able to just be in the present moment. be very relaxed and still let your spine be uh, as straight as you can, lifting it up, rolling your shoulders back, feels good.
relax your hands in your lap. Let your palms be open. Try that posture. See if you can allow the noise that you might hear in my background or in your background. Just coming back to each breath in and each breath out.
still here. Just keep breathing. Relaxing into the silence. Now just keep your eyes closed, but as we end our time together, let's spend the last couple, let's the last couple of minutes focusing on loving kindness. We'll begin with ourselves and think to yourself, oh, now I'm happy. Now I'm at rest, and may I be happy. May I be relaxed and at ease. And may all beings be happy at heart. <clears throat> Whatever beings there may be, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, middling, short, subtle, gross, seen and unseen, living near and far away, born or seeking birth. May all beings be happy at heart. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or resistance perception wish for another to suffer. So may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings everywhere throughout the universes. Thank you and have a beautiful day. I'll be back Thursday.